Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing the series God's Providence today with a message entitled The Value of Prayer. So turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4, verse 2, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Fact is, Christians pray. We pray because God has commanded us to pray. And we pray because it brings us closer to God, with whom we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We pray because, as you know, prayer changes things. And yes, prayer really does change things. James 4 verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. And yes, it appears that there are things in our lives that God would give us were we only to ask. Matthew 7 verse 7, Jesus says, ask and it shall be given to you. And again, in the book of James, in James 5, verse 16, we read, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Or John 14, verse 13, which says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. You know, this is the topical Bible study series on the matter of the providence of God. And throughout this series, we've been tracing God's involvement in ruling all things. And as we've looked at what the Bible has said, we found that the key to this doctrine is found both in Hebrews 1, verse 3, in which we have been told that Christ upholds the universe, and in Colossians 1.17, in which we have been told that all things hold together in Christ. Now, we've been saying that the doctrine of providence means that at each moment, God holds the physical universe together so that at each moment, the world exists because Christ has willed that it should do so. That's to say that Christians are not deists. You remember that the deists believed that God created the physical universe, but that after that, the world just ran on the physical laws which God had put in place. This meant that the deists didn't believe in miracles, so that God never intervened in his creation. And the deists certainly didn't believe that God sent his son into the world to die for our sins. Again, Christians are non-deists, but a great many Christians are what I like to call semi-deists. That is, they do believe in miracles, They do believe that God sent his son into the world, but they actually believe that under normal circumstances, God simply allows the universe to function based on the natural laws that govern it. I mean, they think that unless a miracle occurs, things just occur without God's involvement. But again, as we've seen, that's not what the Bible teaches. The natural laws that govern the world are those laws that God wills to exist at each moment. Were he not to sustain each atom at each moment in time, well, then the atom would fly apart and cease to exist. The world as we know it exists because of the moment-by-moment will of God. Once that basic principle is learned, we then see how far the Bible takes us in that doctrine. We've learned from Proverbs 20, verse 24, that a man's steps are from the Lord and that we ourselves don't even understand our own way. We learn that God lifts up one and he puts down another. We've learned that in a way that does not violate our freedom, God hardens hearts and he softens them. In the end, God providentially oversees all things. And some of us are tempted then to ask, why should I even bother praying, seeing that God already orders all things and designs them from the beginning to the end? I'm going to come back to that question, but for now, let's just put that question on hold in favor of asking a very different one. 
What is it about the doctrine of providence that should cause God's people to pray even more? See, right now, while I'm recording this address, my heart's actually overflowing with gratefulness to God. You know, a short time ago, my son was diagnosed with cancer. We would not have been aware of that cancer, but he was being tested for something that was unrelated to the cancer when the doctors actually discovered it. And because it was discovered so early, the doctors did immediate surgery and they managed to get all of it. So at this point, his prognosis is extremely positive. And I've been meditating on the providence of God. No, there wasn't a miracle. God didn't miraculously heal my son of cancer. But because I understand something of God's providence, I know that God decreed that my son should be medically tested for something else in order that his cancer would be discovered so very, very early. Now, I'm aware that the skeptic would say, well, why couldn't God providentially direct that there would be no cancer in your son? Or why did God providentially allow that cancer would be a part of his body? (laughs) But here's my response. God providentially directed all these matters to allow me and my wife and my son and and our extended family to know that he is dealing graciously with Jonathan's life. And so for me, this news is no different than a miracle. I've seen the hand of God so directing matters for God's glory and out of mercy for my son. No, it wasn't lucky that he went in on time. It was meticulously designed that way by God. And and because of that, I'm filled with praise and worship and thankfulness for a God who has treated me and my son and my family with such mercy and kindness and compassion. God so directed every single detail for this very purpose. Now, I know this is a major thing, but once we attune to it, we will no longer only occasionally see the hand of God. We'll come to see that when we arise in the morning and awake and alive and in our right mind, it's because on this day, God has willed that it should be so. Therefore, we must worship. And when we have what others call a chance encounter, we will see that God was involved in this. You know, I served a church that used to have a phone ministry. We would make sure that everyone was called twice a year and we would make thousands of phone calls. And one of our phone volunteers was was a man quite in tune with God's providence at each moment. And once he called a number on his list and oops, he got the wrong number. And he apologized to the man on the other end of the line and he said he was part of a local church phone team and he's looking to pray for people in our congregation. And then he explained that since God directs all things, even this wrong number was something that would have been designed by God. Well, the man on the other side opened up. This such an important time in his life to call, and before long, that man came to faith in Christ. Well, was that a miracle? No, it was a wrong number, directed by the sovereign hand of God who wills all things at each moment. You know, to live this way transforms every second in every encounter. To live this way takes out of our language the word luck or fluke or coincidence and replaces it with a constant recognition that God is always at work and is always at hand. And as Paul told the Athenian philosophers, in him we live and move and have our being. Prayer then rises out of a response to living in our Father's world. Prayer arises out of a response to knowing not just that God's providence is there, but that his providence is a kind providence for all who believe. 
prayer rises out of the reality that God has not treated us as our sins deserve, and therefore all of our prayers are laced with adoration and thanksgiving and a recognition that I have been in the safety of God's loving hands. You know, someone's going to say, what do we say when the outcome is not as positive as it was with your son, when what occurs produces great loss? Wouldn't I then curse God for bringing that about? Well, you might, but you might also remember that's exactly what Job's wife thought. After all of Job's wealth and his physical assets were stolen from him, and then when a great wind came, and I'm assuming it was a tornado, and it hit the house where his children were eating, all of them died in that one incident, then Job was left bereft. And then Job's health fails him, and his body's covered with loathsome sores, so that when his own friends approach him, they couldn't even recognize him. He was a man who had lost everything. And the Bible tells us that two things happen. In Job 1, verse 22, we read, In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. That is, Job doesn't say to God, You've done wrong by me. And that's amazing. But that's not what his wife thought. We read about that in Job 2, verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Notice those two different responses. Both come out of great pain, and both come out of an understanding that, that these things are not coincidences, but they are connected with God's dealings. See, both Job and his wife understand that God is in the center of this horrible tragedy. Now, later, of course, we learn of Job's three pseudo-friends who have come to the conclusion that God brought this about because of Job's sins. And then we learn how very wrong those friends are. But his wife was also wrong. God is not to be cursed. But how do we avoid this conclusion if we see God's sovereign hand in every single action? I think Joseph understood the answer well. Remember in Genesis 50, he tells his brothers when they sold him into slavery, they intended it for evil. Indeed, the providence of God does not get evildoers off the hook. They're still guilty for their evil. But Joseph knows that this evil act was intended by God for good. So how do we pray? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, let me explain that when I come back. Want to be kept up to date on all the developments and behind the scenes of Back to the Bible Canada? then be sure to sign up for our ministry update email. These monthly emails provide insights into what's new and what's forthcoming here at Back to the Bible Canada. Updates about the ministry's international efforts, new opportunities to share the good news spread around the globe. And you'll receive first word of exciting upcoming Bible resources, updates on upcoming events, things to celebrate, and exclusive five and five audio conversations between myself and a monthly guest, offering inside looks at the ministry and plans moving forward. To sign up to receive the monthly ministry update email, visit us at backtothebible.ca or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. God has ordained that His people pray. I think this is the very foundation of all praying. So let's remember that we don't pray to let God know what it is that we need. You know, according to Matthew 6, verse 8, Jesus said, 
Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so it's not that we pray alerting God to our needs or our fears or the dangers we face or the health crisis we endure or the financial needs that we must survive. Look, God knows. He has no need of his children to remind him. I'm deeply comforted that God cares for my family and my children and those that I love far more than I do. We should never pray as if, unless we do, these matters will not catch God's attention. And furthermore, we never fear to pray for things that God intends already to give us. I've often faced that as a pastor. You know, for a while, there was a false teaching that was making the rounds, and that false teaching said, you know, we don't have to ask God for forgiveness because, after all, Christ has already forgiven our sins, past, present, and future. But this misunderstands the very nature of praying. First of all, we pray daily that God would forgive us of our sins. Why do we do that? Well, because Jesus, who is our Lord, instructed us to pray that way. And that, by the way, should settle all this nonsense theology. But, but after that, we might ask, well, why is it that we should pray for the very thing that we already know has been secured for us on the cross? So the answer is that prayer, or the very way in which God has designed it, is for the purpose of creating a relationship of faith and trust and dependence on God. God wants that we explicitly trust him in all things. And so as we go in his presence and humbly confess that we've sinned, both in the things that we've done and also in the things that we've left undone, in the things that we've thought and in the longings that we've cherished in our hearts, we confess these matters. And as we do, we remember 1 John 1 verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In daily confessing sins, we remember that sin is an affront to God, and we learn to take it seriously. But we remember daily that God is gracious and compassionate, and we remember how great is the love and grace that flows from the cross of the crucified one. Well, prayer is about praise and, and the doctrine of God's kind providence, and it helps us to see more reasons to pray than we'd ever thought possible. And furthermore, when we confess our sins, we remember that God has ordained that we should pray this way. We become ever more aware of our daily dependence on his mercy. But what about asking and receiving? Now, if God rules over all, if he not only knows the future but ordains the future, I mean, what possible point could there be in praying for anything since it's already fixed in the eternal plans of God? But here I'm brought back to James 4 verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. If I understand that rightly, James seems to be saying that a failure in prayer keeps us from receiving that which God wants to give us. And furthermore, James adds the words in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So it turns out that we've got to bring our theology with us into our prayer lives. God never allows us to name and claim anything we want. I remember some years ago going for a walk with a young man who had been raised with this name it and claim it kind of faith. And, and as we were walking, I, I remarked that as we passed a house, I said, it's one of the nicest houses I've ever seen. That was not that it was so big, but it was located so nicely up against a forest and it was just beautifully built. And I, I just loved walking by that house and enjoying it. But my friend said, well, you need to ask God and he's gonna give it to you. I told him I was shocked. 
he thought that prayer operated that way. Well, what way? He said, God, like a candy bar machine, put money into the slot, that's your faith, push the right button, that's the request, and poof, out comes the candy bar, any candy bar of your choice. Now, that's a view that sees the world as governed by physical principles, but once you put your faith into it, those physical principles are changed. I said, I'm appalled at such an unworthy thought about prayer. Look at James 4, 2 and 3. God withholds some things from our lives because he wants to teach us to pray, asking him for things that he wants to give us. But as we begin asking him for things in prayer, we also learn from a reading of the Bible, from its description of the ways of God, from its description of ourselves that we need to confess our sins and our selfishness and our self-obsession and become concerned with the glory of God. Prayer is a part of God's training us so that our heart might be in tune with his heart. I learned not to pray for things that get spent on my passions. Now, my friend was right. I did love that house, but I couldn't afford that house. But I've learned slowly and painstakingly that there are things of which I need to plead with for God that are far greater consequence than that house. Let's get back to the issue of asking and receiving. Think about God's command to Israel from that very well-known passage, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Notice the elements of prayer, humbling ourselves, confessing that he is God. We're not. We need him. We're dependent on him. The second element is praying and seeking his face. It's the desire that we have that we might know him. And then as the New Testament believers know, access is granted by the cross. And then a confession of our sins. And finally, the promise, God will answer our prayers and heal our land. That is, God gives his people those things that he wanted to give them, but he withheld from them until his people prayed. Now, therefore, it seems to me There are some basic elements of all believing prayer. Prayer includes learning what is the will of God. It is learning the ways of God and the purposes of God. It's not as if God wanted something else and then we somehow subvert God's providential designs when we pray. Prayer is learning the providential designs of God and finding joy in that which God intends. Prayer also involves faith. It teaches us to trust God. I mean, after all, He sustains all things, and if his intent to us is loving, prayer is an exercise in faith. Prayer also involves humility, confession of sins, making our requests known to him, finding obedience to him to be our delight. But still, I can almost hear someone asking, well, does prayer really change things or does it just change us? If God providentially rules all things, what then? Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does all that pleases him. Now, if that's true, does prayer really change things? Again, I turn to James 4, verse 2. There are some things that will never occur until believers ask. And since the Lord calls us to ask boldly, we should ask. We should plead with God for the salvation of the lost for a healing, for unity in our local churches, for the leaders of our nation, for the advancement of the church in the world, for particular people that we want to be saved, and more so, 
We need to ask God to give us a heart that truly loves him and his word. I've said it before, but I love the prayer of Augustine. O Lord, decree in me that which thou hast commanded of me. We need to tell the Lord how often we've failed to conquer a given sin, and we need to confess to him our weakness. And with that, we need to plead, change my heart, O God, regarding this sin, that I might not love it anymore. Give me a new heart that might love you. And with that, dear friend, bring your personal needs to God. Address him. Tell him what you need and wait for him to respond. So I hope you see, prayer is not at odds with a healthy doctrine of God's providential rule. Rather, understand God's providential rule allows us to pray well. It will refocus our prayers and, dare I say it, it will also revive our prayers and make us think of prayer as the absolute necessity of every single child of God. Therefore, Don't pray as a faithless act of desperation. Pray as an act of faith-filled confidence, a kind of confidence that finds the providence of God our delight, knowing that God has determined to answer the prayers of his people. John, today's message has to make you think, particularly for folks that, you know, sort of at times, and I guess myself included, sort of cycle around in in believing, does God answer prayer? Is the providence of God overwhelming prayer? You know, and you sort of go back and forth, but, but there's some truth going on here. The Bible speaks truth. Yeah, and I think in the end, Ben, this is so good because we sometimes go to extremes. So you'll get the people that'll say, I believe in the providence of God. What's the point in praying? I mean, after all, God's going to do what he's going to do. And then the Bible corrects us. You know, we ought to pray about everything. And sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. And that's clear. And then on the other hand, seeing these, you know, that God demands that we pray and that, you know, some of us then begin to deny the providence of God. But what's interesting is we pay attention to all of the Scripture and we make up our mind in advance, I'm not going to deny any text of Scripture. It's amazing how the Bible will safeguard us. So, you know, think about these things, think about the providence of God, think about God being in control, but always remember that this should lead us to pray more and not less. Thanks so much, John, and, and thanks for today's message. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue in the series, God's Providence, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Here at Back to the Bible Canada, we're committed to the mission of providing excellence in Bible teaching you can trust in every medium possible. Both Bible teaching and engagement programs are available online through video, print, radio, podcast, mobile app, and CD. It's our prayer that anyone who tunes in will discover encouragement for their spiritual journey and insight for living through the study of the Bible. All of these resources are made possible through the faithful support of our listeners. It's your generous donations that allow the mission to be accomplished. So thank you for all you do. And remember that if you want to receive our monthly gift this month, Dr. John's new booklet, 10 Questions About Money Matters, all you need to do is visit backtothebible.ca 
or call us at 1-800-663-2425. And thanks again for your generous support.